Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, BloodyDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering new horrifying episodes every Saturday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bowen. And this week, there's really no other horror game to talk about other than the return of Resident Evil by way of uh, Capcom's Resident Evil Village. And uh, fair warning, we'll be discussing all manner of spoilers. Village picks up with our old friend Ethan Winters, who's tried to find a sense of normalcy after the whole Baker scenario with his wife Mia and newborn daughter Rose. Their tranquil new life is upended, though, when Chris Redfield suddenly kidnaps Rose and detains Ethan with no explanation, busing him to a snow-blanketed part of the remote European countryside where an all-new crop of horrors await. So, I think the only real place to start with Resident Evil Village is to take a step back how did you react when they made that shift to first person? I think by the time, I think we said this when we were doing the anniversary podcast, that horror had gone so first person by that point, with independent studios doing a lot of that, like you know, um, Frictional being one of them, that by the time we got to this and we'd had PT and that had been got, done and gone by that point already, um, giving this... You know, almost cynically giving Capcom the chance to do, well, here's an idea that's a few years out of date that we'll do, which at the time Capcom were very good at doing with Resident Evil and much to the uh, <laughs> series' faults to that point. But, yeah, so it felt fine and comfortable to do it like that, and I think the teaser they put out for in VR, which was uh, before it was known what it was, uh, also a very uh, PT-inspired rip there by making sure they had this secret demo which was basically where you were chained to a chair in that house and like stuff happened around you and to you and and that was it and that was like oh and this was for Resident Evil 7 and you find out later and I think by the time it got announced I think it was at E3 the year before it came out and it was like oh wow okay this is different they're doing new things okay that's cool yeah and so it was yeah I couldn't complain about that and I was actually quite excited to have a break from what Resident Evil had looked like it was going to become at that point because 6 had just you know, lost me uh, on Resident Evil at that point and I was just thinking well this is clearly not as serious for me anymore you know, they've, they've clearly moved to a different audience that's fine but yeah then to see this it was like I would have taken it if it would have been you know a top down strategy game at that point <laughs> compared to what yeah. 6 was <laughs> And I think that's something that we were kind of applauding Capcom for during the anniversary episode when we were kind of just chatting about our thoughts and feelings on the series at large. It's this idea that they have been consistent in sort of like redefining the expectations for Resident Evil, but also sort of upending the perception of what those experiences are like while still using the same sort of like variables that they established with the early games, right? And I think that's what was so refreshing about Seven was is that in that perspective shift, nothing of classic sort of like tone and atmosphere and obviously horror uh, monsters and elements and things like that were lost in that transition. Um, and so I think it's interesting now in going from Resident Evil 7 to Village that it's kind of what we expected in the sense that we were anticipating a more action-oriented nature now that's sort mm. of the allure of or maybe the intrigue of Resident Evil 7 going first person, seeing if they can replicate the atmosphere the environment and sort of the mood and tone and all those things, now they're able to sort of apply more of an action-oriented nature to it that Resident Evil is known for, whether people have accepted that really, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. some people still aren't all that hot on Resident Evil 4 being more action-oriented, but that's been a part of the series now for almost a decade, right? That new sort of emphasis on more action. Oh, yeah. 
and, in addition to the horror. And even here, it, you, having replayed everything this year, five makes this look like you know a, a walking sim by comparison. Yeah. It, <laughs> five is incessant with its you know, throwing enemies at you and not really giving you anything to do other than that. And no, this is taking everything that was learned well from seven. It takes a lot of the classic resi beats again, you know, the map is split into areas and it's this big open world on the surface, but really it's just another mansion where you know, the world is the mansion and each wing happens to be its own mini mansion <laughs> at this point. Um, and they all have different things, which is cool. So yeah, as much as it's like, you know, a Legend of Zelda type game in a lot of ways and how that happens, it's not quite as open as that because it's still a lot of corridors. So yeah, it does still have that vibe of uh, a classic Resident Evil scenario, which of course, as with that, ends in a place that doesn't really exist in the rest of the game and moves for its finale. Yeah, and I think that right off the bat, the game opens so strong, right? It opens, obviously, we're picking up with characters that we haven't seen in a while, and yet immediately Mia is killed, Ethan's mm. wife. She gets murdered by Chris, and there's no explanation Chris gets uh, Chris kidnaps Ethan, kidnaps the child, and then you wake up and you've been in this accident, and then you kind of are like stumbling around in the cold with just a flashlight. And that is such a phenomenal intro, in my opinion, because it really does capture sort of the more horror-centric tone that Seven had, hmm. and it really opens it up in a way that feels kind of familiar. But then, as soon as the sun rises, essentially, you're presented with this sort of sprawling outdoor area to explore, and it just really reinforces that this is a much larger world for you to explore but again like you had said it's still in line with kind of having you on the tracks to a certain extent right it's not like oh this is a completely open world but it gives the illusion i think in terms of just the space and the setting and it makes for something that feels much like seven kind of had very clear um horror influences and from different films and whatnot like texas chainsaw massacre and things like that this one I felt immediately it kind of is a blending sort of like a Bloodborne's gothic aesthetic mm. across the board and then even little moments like the Blair Witch I definitely felt kind of had an influence especially oh, yeah. in the beginning when you're like wandering through the dark and you have a flashlight but all you can see is basically your feet or like a hand's length in front of you and kind of just like reacting to what you hear rather than what you see and it just it's such a strong start for a game that ends up being more action oriented but in the long run, I think it blends those moments really, really well together. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it certainly ups the ante, gives you know, the excuse early on that you know, he's had training since we last saw him, so he's a little more handy with himself. Handy being the, the uh, operative word for the day. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still, you know, very much a vulnerable person in a, in a lot of ways and so very ordinary and underwhelmed by everything and then overwhelmed by everything. He's... Uh, yeah, his very his very boring nature is essential for being part of his journey in this. So you don't really have to care about Ethan uh, because he, like you, is like, well, how do how do we get here? Why has this happened? We're left with as many mysteries as he is. You know, his own personal mystery is there that even he doesn't know about it. Uh, so you're joining him all along. He is basically Gordon Freeman with a voice who had to have gone to marriage counseling a few times <laughs> and he's become there's something of a pariah in 
you know, many people have played since saying, you know, oh, he's boring, oh, we don't like him, like that. It's like he's, I mean, let's be honest, Resident Evil's protagonists haven't ever been like you know, these really bubbly characters a lot of the time, they're the odd exception here and there, but they've never been like the best in terms of characterization. Villains normally take the, uh, take all the fun out of it in that regard. But he's still memorable. You know, as I said on Twitter this week, it's, uh, he's boring to the point where people remember that, he, that who he is because he is boring and that is it. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, it causes a few problems maybe towards the end because you know, you are supposed to care something about it. But then it, I suppose then it depends on when, if you're the, sort of being the vessel, it has to be something you can relate to. Yeah, you know, it's like, and I don't think you can really relate to Ethan's final sort of <laughs> revelations in that regard. But um, overall, I think for the most part of the game, it works. It, in the moment, early on, it doesn't seem like it. It just seems like, well, no, this seems like a really stupid decision. Why has this happened? Why is that happening? Mm. But you go back to seven, and there are callbacks all for in there that, you know, and foreshadowing to this, you know, and, you know, Ethan's loss of limbs happens a lot. Uh, you know, while he gets his hands stapled together in the first, in seven, you know, also his leg gets taken off, and that magically ends yeah. up being attached again. And yeah. nothing is ever said about it again. And then this, so it's not like they've rushed what ends up happening with him in here. And like, they've just, oh, what are we going to do with Ethan? Oh, okay, we'll just make something up. They clearly had this in mind for the character. I think maybe the disappointing thing for some people is because they've hidden his face for all that time and tried to make him some mystery. People were kind of hoping that he was someone else that we already knew, and that's understandable. And I think that, you know, coupled with uh, Chris's story and how that turns out, people maybe didn't get quite what they expected same with you know, the, the whole uh, what we've seen of the game to this point you know we've seen a lot of the Castle Dimitres and that was it and so people had heightened expectations of how involved that section would be with the old game I mean as it turns out it's a, what a fifth of the game if anything yeah. so I think it's a good question to be asked right this idea is he a fitting or forgettable protagonist but in his pretty bland, but at the same time, it never allows him to distract from the world and getting to know these sort of, um, I guess you would call them, what are they, mutant lords, essentially? They're sort of the underlings of the person that is essentially has orchestrated kidnapping Rose's daughter, which is Mother Miranda, who's one of these supernatural beings. And then there's four different houses, essentially, which make up environments that you're going to explore to find different uh, vials of your daughter, which we will uh, get into <laughs> shortly. But uh, yeah, I think that Ethan never never distracts from sort of just being introduced to a variety of characters that are all very different. And each character, I think, brings something really special and just how different they are. Yeah. And them being this sort of in- inevitable like boss that you're going to fight, it's not just that they're a boss, it's that they really do feel like they lord over each environment in that each environment is so different and get- brings so much variety to the game which I think in a lot of ways corrects one of my issues that I had with um with Resident Evil 7 in that I I liked the game a lot but I didn't feel that there was necessarily kind of a lot of variety in it Mm -hmm. in terms of whether it be the environments or the enemies as much as I enjoyed the sort of grungy um grungy backwoods locale of the house and exploring that and all of its different layers and mysteries and things 
I really appreciate Village having such a large variety of not only environments, but enemies that feel like they actually exist within that space. Yeah. They feel reflective of that. And of course, all of the different lords for each of the sections, they bring so much to the obviously the game, but also just in terms of they don't feel like copies of one another. No. In a lot of ways, I thought the Baker family while they were all obviously different, I kind of just felt they were just extensions of one another to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this, each of the Lords that you fight feels completely different and brings something completely different and fresh. Um, my only complaint might be that there are so many of them and we don't necessarily get to spend a great amount of time with any particular one, no. or maybe they're not fleshed out as much as I would like, but I think that's just a testament to how phenomenal their design is and how intriguing their backstories are and how you want to learn more about them the more you explore the world that or the environment that they uh, kind of are in charge of. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of sort of just thinking about the different zones, right? Because the village really acts as sort of like the hub world, right? Yeah, that's like, that's your hallway of this mansion. Yes. So your big uh, reception area. Exactly, yeah. And so that acts as the reception area and then that's where basically at a certain point in the game the duke who is the new merchant of yeah. resident evil who is this uh monstrosity of a man that uh magically transports himself around the map it seems yeah. and uh it is obviously much works much like the uh merchant from resident evil 4 where you can buy ammo and gear but now you can craft items with different sort of ingredients that you find scattered about it's not all that uh, different than we've seen in other horror games as of recent, where it's like, okay, you've got a crafting system, so you're not overly reliant on, like, finding ammo. It makes the player sort of apply a certain amount of agency to, like, what do I need at this moment? Do I need ammo? Do I need a health pack? These types of things. That's it, yeah. It, it changes that, and that's probably the biggest key change to classic Resident Evil, yeah, I think, and it's as much as six, probably... A, had a bit of it, maybe, but in terms, but it was only because you were only with each person for a very short amount of time relative to the game. Here it is just you know, its whole major system that no longer do you have to worry about key items don't go in your inventory anymore, neither to treasures and things like that. It's all they're all separate, so you don't have to worry about juggling space with them. And but you know, there's still plenty of stuff to go in your main Resident Evil 4 style inventory cache, if you will. and that works well uh, again so it's a combination of old things and new things which you know, is pretty much the whole thing of a, a village here is that while a lot of it is core resident evil and you know i think that can be forgotten sometimes when you're going oh well this wasn't as good as this and this this was a bit too silly and then it's like hang on you know <laughs> the game <laughs> itself references how silly this series has been in the past you know you think the heisenberg calling Chris Redfield that boulder punching fuck yeah so it's well aware of what it is I think the problem comes there is the balance in being serious and being stupid has to be right with it eh? um, five and six especially it tried to be a bit too straight based and serious about things that were quite blatantly absurd and while that can work, with those it didn't because the city wasn't just in the situations they were in. It was also the fact that the game was structured in such a weird way compared to how Resident Evil normally was. Here, they get away with it a bit more because even 
basically has to react to every all this mad shit happening around him and yeah. again which is another essential part of him being so nothing in a lot of ways is that everything else can be as flamboyant and crazy as it needs to be without him taking anything away you know he's not Dante Devil May Cry here he's not going to have a one liner for everything he, he tries it does try <laughs> to be fair but most of it's like fuck off fuck you and all that sort of thing which you know fair enough in most cases <laughs> but uh, yeah I mean, it just about gets away with that and makes it uh, you know the right side of city maybe towards the end there's a couple of bits where it does get a bit over the top in, in how ridiculous it gets but I've seen worse in this series let's put it that way yeah <laughs> I think too when you're talking about in terms of like how self-aware it is and it being more action-oriented and maybe if some that's not to some people's liking saying it's not like Resident Evil well you need to think about like what Resident Evil has morphed into in a lot of ways and yeah. this is a this feels very Resident Evil in terms of like what Resident Evil has become over the years and I would say even if 5 and 6 is not necessarily to either of our liking I think that it takes elements of that but it really sheds a lot of the elements that did not work and I think mm. that that falls into place in terms of this balance that you're talking about and I mean the Duke, who's the traitor in this, he periodically will quote the merchant from Resident Evil 4, right? He says, like, yeah. oh, what are you buying? Oh, that's what somebody that I, that one of my friends or somebody I used to know says. Like, little moments like that. Yeah, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's referencing a past game in the series. But that type of approach or that type of line doesn't appear... There isn't, like, six or seven other instances of other characters doing mm-hmm. things like that. Or the world is not overly referential, right? I mean, no. you will see umbrella logos periodically throughout the castle and at very key points but again it doesn't feel like they're sort of being overtly referential to the past games and they don't and it doesn't feel as if they are sort of trying to maybe revert back to what a lot of the previous games were doing it kind of feels like this perfect marriage of what made classic re great and what is associated with modern resident evil and sort of the developments and changes in that and if anything it just feels like this beautiful marriage of all of these different components, both past and present. Yeah, I mean, the, the story terms, they sort of tie into things before the events of the earlier games. You know, it's how you know, Spencer ends up getting his hands on all the stuff that makes all the stuff happen, so it brings it full cycle in a way. And right. yeah, there are elements throughout the game that aren't you know, so blatant, that are clearly celebrations of the series as a whole, but which is intentional I'd imagine given the anniversary is this year and you know you think to the the, fi- the giant fish you know that's very Resident Evil 4 a lot of it is very Resident Evil 4 as they said it would be um, but in things like you know Dimitres uh, Castle has a very Spencer Mansion-esque vibe to it as does uh, the Benevito one Vento one as well and and I think it only really sort of does something very wild towards the end when you get to Heisenberg's factory and it's like factories have been in a few Resident Evil games and that that in itself is probably where the nod is but what's done with that is very different and I think that's where some people don't like it I think because it goes on too long and you know to the point where Ethan makes a joke about what there's there's more you know like that (laughs) as he he thinks he's done it but um, and I think that joke is played out about twice in that one, which is pushing the, its luck a bit. But I think the enemy types and stuff you meet in there, and it, it makes it one of the more interesting things. And 
you know, a lot of the pre-release hype was, of course, naturally on Castle Dimitrescu and Alcina Dimitrescu. As we know, you know, that's only a portion of the game and maybe it's the hype into it, but it, it doesn't end up being the strongest section or the most interesting character uh, out of the uh, four lords, if you will. Yeah, I think that that it's definitely not the highlight of the game, but I think that the castle section is the best way to sort of like get your grounding within this world, right? They sort of hit you up front with this much op- uh, much bigger and larger than you're used to, sort of wide open village you can explore. You have to fight through a swarm of these lichens, which are basically like werewolf mutants, right? And you're fighting a, just large swaths of them, which all feels very new in a way that is exciting again, right? This idea that it's more action-oriented, but it is ingrained in a world that feels like it is a cousin of sort of like the classic idea of Resident Evil with with, uh, zombies and things like that. But then it sends you back to the castle, which is very sort of reminiscent of Spencer Mansion, like you had mentioned. And I think that it does a really great job of sort of giving Resident Evil fans an experience that feels familiar, but it is obviously refined in a way that is essentially giving them that first person exploration of something that is akin to Spencer Mansion, which I'm sure some people have always wanted in a way. Um, But it also then allows you to be grounded into an experience that feels somewhat familiar. And then it explodes into these various environments that are completely foreign while still being somewhat reminiscent of bits and pieces of past and prior um, Resident Evil titles. Like you had said, the whole lake section with the fish that keeps jumping out of the water and whatnot, very reminiscent of four. Um, And I'm curious for you, like what is probably one of the uh, Lord's environments that stands out to you the most. Well, it, it's going to seem obvious probably to everyone <laughs> yeah. in, in the whole wide world at this point because it's... And, you know, it, it has specifically... When I first heard about this you know, in the early stuff when uh, Rena Cervantes was uh, reviewing it for us, was sort of mentioning about well, this one section and how, you know, Lit and scary it actually was, you know, it's like, and for people into horror to say something is actually kind of unsettling or scary is like, oh, okay. So you take note there because it, most people in, in that space tend to watch horror for a comfort or an enjoyment reason more than anything. And if it scares you, it's rare these days, you know, it's yeah. like, and to unsettle you. So, yes, uh, Beneviento, um, House Beneviento is a very unassuming place to go after you've been to Castle Dimitres, you know, which is this grand, lavish castle and all, you know, everything's all shiny and ornate inside. And then you've got this winding mountain path and you see this grave with dolls around it and you know, this uh, nameplate on the grave doesn't have the whole name but suggests that, you know, the date is there saying that it's a child that has been laid to rest there. Mm-hmm. Sort of dragging into that and then once you get all the way up this mountain through these lifts and things, you see this very unassuming house. You know, it is, you know, compared to what you've just been to, it looks very drab and small, not quite as small as the houses themselves in the village, but clearly not, it's seen better days. And you go in the front door of it, and it is, it's very, it's like a miniature version of what you've been in, in a lot of ways. You know, you had this, it's, could have, it probably was once a nice house, but has, definitely fall into disrepair it's kind of like a middle ground between you know the baker house and 
what the, the mansion is, you know, in terms of not quite that far gone. Uh, I should sort of roll back here and say that it becomes a very personal sort of uh, thing for Ethan, this, because it seems Beneviento's power is to uh, basically manipulate your mind in some ways with the help of a weird, freaky doll, Angie. And you are asked to sort of post something in the front door before you can get in to go up the mountain pass. And the only thing you have usually at that point to give is your the photo of you, Mia, and Rose, which you do. And that ends up informing what happens in this house. And it's a very smart way of doing that because that photo basically imprints itself on the house itself and things that happen to you in there. So you go in there, go around. It's very, it's. I, I mean, I really love the design of this house because it, it's just. It looks like a European sort of style dilapidated house, and it's. It has it evokes something really familiar and real to me that I can't quite place my finger on where it is, but it, it felt like a place, a real place, a lot more than say the castle had or the village had. And I think, you know, the testament to the power of the PS5 and the ray tracing and all that is, you know, phenomenal looking game. And having had all this glitz and glamour in the castle where it really shows off that power in a very obvious way, here it's a very understated way in how that works. And that, again, will come into play later in terms of lighting. But you get in there and you find it's, you know, the, the front room of it has all these dolls around, which, you know, she is the doll maker, as they call her. And then, of course, you get into this room, you find the flask with, with Angie the doll, you pick it up, and that's pretty much where it goes downhill for even big time. And <laughs> it's it's something that you don't like to spoil, I have to say. I mean, we're doing it here because, you know, we're spoiling the game anyway, because that's the point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I, even when I've had, uh, I don't know, had an article out today on this very section... You know, and I've been sure to make sure there's no pictures of certain moments in it because it's like you don't you don't need it. You need to see what happens yourself, I think. But yeah, it starts off weirdly enough with like this puzzle, which is this wooden doll on an autopsy table, which is very very uh, Mia-esque in design. And you basically take it apart, take parts off it to find clues to how to get to the you know, a key in one place. Uh, a clue in the eye and a roll of film that you have to find tweezers to get out of the mouth. And so basically by finding each of these things, you can unlock to go to the next room to come back to get something else out of the door and then go to the next one. And it, it, that in itself is very smart, you know, and everything connects to Ethan and Mia. You know, there's a music box for their wedding. You know, there's the, the roll of film, which is all based on personal parts of their life together. There's a wedding ring that's covered in blood, you know, that you have to wash off to get, a, you know, a code. Yeah, so you do all these things and uh, eventually basically you just get a, an extra disc for a door so you can sort of get to the next bit. Yeah, it leads you to, down to a, a room and with a, a well, a rocking... You know, you've heard the babies cry a couple of times at this point and you're like, OK, OK, this is a, you know, just the usual sort of mindfuckery going on with it. And up to this point... You're in a doll's, you know, a doll-infested house. And you're hearing baby cries, and you think you know what's going to happen straight away. You're like, all right, so it's going to just be creepy dolls and stuff like that, and yeah, 
I get it. They're trying to sort of have a, like a ghost story type thing, and that's what you expect. You expect a ghost or dolls. Yeah, you know, that that's it. And while it does deliver dolls, like you know, it, it, that is not what comes. You get back up those stairs. Everything has goes dark. And the crying gets bit, you know, more and more intense and just rises. And just at that point, you're thinking, what is going to come out of this? You know, especially at this point where you know from having talked to someone that something happens. You know, it's like, but nothing prepares you quite for seeing it. You know, it's like you walk down that dark corridor. And again, the, the, the use of dark and light is excellent in this bit because it is just that very real sense of a lurking darkness where you can kind of make shapes out and, uh, as you go ahead but you can't really see that far ahead of you even with a torch and then you see this thing you know this this giant mutant baby with this big flappy mouth I, I, I say you see it in most cases you, you see it shout some extremity you know, it's so <laughs> expletive and then turn and run the other way you know, my first instinct knowing from the room I'd just been in was to like there's a table in there I can go in there I know I need to go beyond where this thing is so I'll go in there wait in the room find the autopsy table and when it comes to me I'll run around the other side that was fine but then you have this horrible wait where you're just waiting for it to catch up to you and you're like ugh like that. and then it does and you kind of see it and this red light of what it really looks like oh, you know, it's unpleasant and not so much how it looks it, it, you know that on its own wouldn't be enough I think it's the fact that the sound is so so unsettling. I mean, as a parent, you have this thing where when they, your kids are younger and you have the baby monitor out a lot, you know, for the early years, and you get to the point where they don't tend to cry that often and you kind of dread when they do because it's usually because they're ill or something. And you, or you just, so at night when you get... I can only have my free time sort of around then. And so to play games with my friends and stuff like that online, and so you'd always dread that sort of start of hearing the noises of babies crying and like, oh, like that. So, so you had a sort of, I had a mix of that with the fact that it was just taken to this new sort of slightly off pitch, unsettling key. Like that, and yeah, so you escape that bit, managed to get down to the next uh, floor, and. <laughs> you go into that bedroom where you find you're trying to find a fuse at this point to get to the top to get out of the elevator and escape and you, you see that the bed gives you a, in that room gives you a prompt you could hide there you're like oh <laughs> I'm not done with this then <laughs> but you know you haven't heard it again at that point and you're like okay and it's just again it, you expect it you expect you know it's coming you know it's going to be coming it, there's no big jump scare to it when it does arrive. Same like when it first arrives, it isn't a jump scare. It just looms up the darkness and just, oh, yeah. And that time, the second time, where you come back out to go up the stairs, you're like, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? And then you just hear it giggle in that oh, way it does, and it just comes down the stairs. Oh, and it's... <laughs> you know where to go at that point. You know, it's to hide under the bed, and it, it's hiding under there, hearing it making these noises... You know, wet slapping noises of it going around the, <laughs> like that and you sort of <laughs> and then you basically just get out the other side of the bed and run up to the top and then you have to do that agonising wait for the lift to come up when you do it and it's like I've found even on the second play free that 
Yeah, it doesn't matter what distance you've got, that fucker will be behind you by the time you get <laughs> into that left. <laughs> so, and, like, mercifully, that's the end of it in that section, and you just end up, you know, having the actual boss fight. It's just, I mean, probably, <laughs> I just realised in saying all this, uh, the key thing here is you don't have any of your weapons. because <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know, I think you know, there may have been problems with shooting a giant baby. <laughs> in terms of... But I think that that's one of the key elements, right? There's several very clever decisions in terms of where they place this section of the game, the lead up to it, what's coming after it, but also the idea that you're defenseless. All you can do is run, obviously, but it really does highlight just how strong the atmosphere, the sound design, the lighting, all these things we were talking about. You play it on PS5, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. And I play it on PS4. And even on PS4, I mean, it obviously looks phenomenal, but also you recommended I play with headphones. Yeah. And so when I played with headphones, it's one of those things where it's like, it's the classic <laughs> horror staple where it's like, something's more terrifying when you can hear it before you see it in a lot mm. of ways. And that's definitely the case with this, right? Because you hear it slapping around, right? You have that phenomenal sound design where you can hear sort of all these wet slaps and then you hear this cooing and then you just hear it saying like da 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 as it's right kind of like clipping at your heels and that's not the first horror first person horror game to have something chase you around and you be defenseless but it's the perfect marriage of when it the uh, segment appears in the game too because up until that point you basically haven't encountered anything that you can't shoot your way through yeah right and I believe you're coming hot off the heels of killing um, the first boss in the game, too. So you're defenseless, You and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I have to run away from this thing. And the way that the lighting works, again, in these sections when you have your flashlight, you can only really see like an arm's length in front of you. Yeah. It's just enough that you're not going to be running into walls every single time. I definitely ran into a few, but <laughs> it's one of those things where you can see just enough that if you're quick enough, you can dodge a wall really quickly. But at the same time, you can't necessarily see the exit or the direction you need to be heading in, which keeps you on your toes. I'm sure even on a replay, um, yeah. in terms of just really ratcheting up that tension. Yeah, I mean, quite smartly, by the time you do get to that, um, the games let you go around these different winding, uh, looping pathways in the house. So when it does happen, you have an idea where you need to go and what's open, what isn't open. And that helps immensely. And I think it's, it's a good balance because you're not just left... If you were left in a situation where it's very easy to get killed or you just, it would take the illusion away a bit, uh, I think it's balanced just right that you're in danger and you feel like... And even on second play for it, it's still, you know, it's still the exact same thing. It's like, I saw it, I turned, I ran the other way. It's like... And I knew it was coming <laughs> again that time. I knew it was coming that time, and it's still just so unsettling and horrible to hear. But yeah, they, they just—it's everything they do in the the pacing of it. You know, that whole puzzling section to begin with, the slow reveal to what, that creature, and it, all the way to you know, escaping it and getting out. <clears throat> you know, it's you know, a tiny little part of the game in, in the grand scheme of things but it's just so phenomenal and I can, I can totally understand why that then makes the rest of the game a bit disappointing for people because it is a high point it really is the high point because it's so unlike what you're used to with Resident Evil while still doing things Resident Evil is known for You know, you, I think again when we talk about Lady Dimitrescu it, it goes to that the 
it makes her inferior in retrospect then because you're like she was nothing really compared to this you know I mean the first time around I did Castle Dimitrescu I barely saw her I just like but the second time I saw a lot more because I explored more I I think it just depends on how you play it but um, but yeah never did she feel as much of a threat as they did as that one you know that baby did (laughs) that baby that never hit me once but still (laughs) terrified the shit out of me yeah I think, too, the last thing I'll say in terms of, like, the puzzles in that section, too, it really is the first time where all the puzzles are directly tied to your past Mm -hmm. as the protagonist, which I really like because that takes on that whole psychological angle and you start to realize, like, oh, shit, like, this is his wife's wedding ring and then that is that her blood and these types of things. And just looking back at a time that is now marred in tragedy, um, it takes on that psychological angle that really unnerves without pressing you on in a combat scenario or in a scenario where you have to run for your life up front at least right it kind of it evolves into that um so i think that is really paced and then as soon as you ride that elevator back up i think yeah everything pales in comparison after that but it's still entertaining enough that it's this new sort of like more action oriented hybrid uh re experience that i think is definitely enjoyable and i don't want to like undersell it but in terms of kind of classic Resident Evil terror, it really can't be topped after that. And I don't know, I almost wonder, like, should that section have been pushed back into the game or, like, further into the game where you kind of, like, up until that point, it's like, okay, we've got this true skin-crawling, terrifying moment that Resident Evil hasn't seen for a couple of years? Or do we give them more of the sort of new up front and then catch them off guard? But, I mean no matter how you feel about where its placement in the game is, it is pa- it's placed incredibly well because it's like, okay, up until that point, there's nothing you can't shoot your way out of and then all of a sudden it's like completely defenseless and I just love that sort of contrast between experiences. Yeah, I mean, maybe in an ideal world you might swap it with Moreau and have Moreau mm-hmm. beforehand because Moreau is so short and while it has some good bits, it's probably my least favorite Overall, yeah, just sure. which not which is unfortunate because I think Moreau is what interesting himself, and you know? he's just this you know sad sack, wallowing loser of of the kids, you know, of uh, her kids, and uh, it's, yeah, he does has an absolute self-loathing that sort of works well for who he is, but then he still manages to sort of trick Ethan because he yeah. is just monumentally dumb about things <laughs> but um, every lord is interesting in their own way and some just happen to have sections that go with them that are interesting I mean you think with this one that we're just talking about you know Donna Beneficento never herself says a word really apart from you know, sorry that's a lie she, she says very little but you know and you don't really see her for the majority of it because when you do escape from the the baby you have a hide and seek match with Angie the doll where you basically if you don't find her in time you get attacked by a swarm of killer dolls which is brilliantly demented and after what you've just been through it's like kind of the perfect tonic tonic for what happened because Mm -hmm. you don't feel as like shocked by it or like feel as as intense a situation but at the same time you're like fucking hell mad fucking crazy killer dolls now as well (laughs) that was shaking heads it's creepy but it's like 
if that had been the section, that would have been underwhelming. You know, that was all it had been. So again, that's credit to it that it became this whole other thing inside that. And I think that's, yeah, whatever else you could say of the rest of the game, that's a point where it just defies expectations. You know, it assumes, and it makes you assume that it's going to be something that isn't. And it, it just becomes this whole very unexpected thing. I didn't realize that the dolls even attack you. I guess I just found her. I didn't until the second. I didn't realize they swarm you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't until the second time. Like the first time around, I found her every time quite quickly. But then the second time around, I lost which way she went. And then, yeah, they eventually do attack. And of course, because you're helpless, it's not really easy to do much. But I love, though, that they're, the cues to where she has gone are all sort of like environmental in that you see these like smears of blood on the wall and mm. you have to follow those. Like, I loved little nods like that. And again, it kind of just shows how even in this more action-oriented Resident Evil, it is still very much about sort of scanning the environment and exploring it for whether it's you're looking for items or clues to a puzzle or a boss environmental puzzle that ties into combat, sort of. Um, I just really love that in every environment that you explore. It all sort of tells that same story throughout the environments and how it becomes really a functionality of the gameplay itself. But I guess in talking about bosses and... I mean, how did you find the boss fights in the game? Because... There's so many and there's such a variety yeah. that I was a little disappointed in how little time we actually spend with each of them. For as iconic as the Lords look, I don't know that we necessarily explore them enough. How did you find them? I think the joke was made a long time ago about Lady Dimitres that everyone's going to be angry when she turns into some sort of multi-tentacled monster at the end of it. <laughs> because that is Resident Evil tradition. You know, your villains turn into some monstrosity. So that one was, you know, the first time was really easy because you just hide in the alcoves and come out and shoot. And it's clear that it's her that you've got to shoot at that point. So it didn't really pose much of a problem. I think Beneviento is perfect for what it is. All of it is about not having weapons. It's a very, it's its own experience. And as we've just covered, it deserves full praise for what it does and so you can kind of forgive that you don't get to see much of it, but there's so many clues within that, in the, le- in the run up to there and the back there. You know, there's a treasure you can unlock to, to unlock the grave as well. The, the, and yeah, I just think even in that terms, it's so so much good environmental storytelling in that about the character that it doesn't really matter that you don't have this boss fight. I think really considering you see far less of that character than you do Dimitres, it. You know, it's far more effective, and that's you know discounting everything that happens with the baby. You know, she's still very effective as a character, and it not, does help that she has that demented Angie doll that is just brilliant to have. Like I said, I like Moreau. You know, I think the way they handled the fish boss fight was good. I think the second part was a bit unnecessary, maybe. Yeah. You know, where it's on land, though I did like. The fish was basically like uh, the monster from Bong Joon Ho's host, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. But um, so yeah, that was that was cool in that sense. But I I felt that part was didn't really need it after everything else. I did enjoy the whole sort of going, trying to time your runs and stuff to make sure you don't fall in the water and to, to get eaten. And again, that's a blending of a boss moment where it's an instant kill. Yeah. and puzzle solving and environmental puzzles and things like that which I really like because again it's it it's a shame that it 
well, I guess I prefer beginning with that portion and then because it kind of devolves into this very bullet spongy finale that Mm -hmm. I don't have much interest in. It just kind of feels exactly what you would expect in a lot of ways where it's like, okay, he's going to vomit acid essentially in the sky. You have to take cover and then you have to basically just shoot at him until he dies. And that felt like a very sort of like regressive almost Resident Evil boss fight in a lot of ways. Same with Dimitrescu in the sense that like, okay, there's this weak point. It's going to move around. You have to hide. And then when weak point reveals itself, you pop out, you get a couple of shots and you go back. I guess compared to like those two specifically, and I won't even touch Heisenberg's section yet, but it kind of just felt like there are these glimmers of these very sort of new revolutionary ways that you can present boss fights that actually evoke like real terror and horror. Like you had said, it's this idea that yeah, people that like horror, they say, oh, that was like they describe things as being horrifying all the time. But it's like, how often do you get a genuine like skin crawling moment, especially in a game? It's one of those things where it's very hard to do. And we get glimpses of that. And that's, of course, one of the best moments in the game and probably one of the most memorable moments of any Resident Evil game ever. Yeah. Um, and it's just very interesting that we get these really great moments. And then we kind of get a couple instances where it feels like it's maybe reverting back to something that's more in line with the parts of Resident Evil that we kind of want to see them maybe grow from. Sure. And it's a double-edged sword in this regard because you kind of want it to have that sort of thing, that Resident Evil thing to it. You know, where there is this sort of melodramatic over-the-top fight against giant things. and <laughs> you know, But... Mm, yeah, there, there are limits to it, uh, maybe, I think. And I think anything that followed the Beneviento section was going to be a bit disappointing. And I think maybe yeah. in that regard, Moreau is the perfect character because he's such a self-loathing character that maybe it's right that his boss fight is a bit underwhelming when it ends because it's like, well, he is. It's like he is just a very sad, self-loathing man who's mutated into a fish man. So it's like... <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. it. It feels perfect in that sense. And technically, the next boss isn't even Heisenberg after that because you have the stronghold section, which is probably the most the only one time it's a reverse situation where I didn't like the lead up to the boss fight. The boss fight was fine, you know, which is where you face the the alpha wolf guy. Yeah, but yeah, that stronghold just felt very much like the, you know the, the accusation of it being too action heavy there is where it really did feel too much for me. It was, like, it was just wave after wave of the, of the fucking lichens coming at you, and it's just like, yes. okay, I get it, I get it, you want me to do this? Right. And then, yeah, it sort of did dampen having that sort of fight at the end. But, um, that, that you know, the first time around doing that boss fight was cool because, you know, that he'd overpowered you and been so... You know, frightening to look at and like when you first see him in the game he's you are very much underpowered and you don't really have any guns you know second time around you can take that fucker out early on but and yeah. <laughs> it's just quite nice but um <clears throat> so yeah that was fine and it just felt like it was a it just makes the heisenberg part feel drawn out because it's part of that you know even though you go back somewhere else to, to go to his section you know he's the one that says go there and then we'll talk sort of thing Heisenberg well the boss fight itself was you know ludicrous you know and over the top <laughs> yeah. in the best way but, you know it just about gets away with it for me and I think mm. it's the most divisive part of the game I think for a lot of people because 
simply because of the length of it and how there's so much to do in it. I liked it. I, I think um, it had a very uh, end of Terminator vibes to it, you know, this whole factory and sort of stuff and the, the fucking robo zombies and, <laughs> and you know, plagiarism or not, you know, that the propeller head zombie is you know, just like mental Resident Evil 5 shit, you know, the, the kind of, again, a part of the game that felt like a nod to a particular game without outright being that. And, you know, I liked Heisenberg's just constant sort of you know, jump between, hey, come on, let's be friends. Oh, come on, let's uh, go and take them down together. Oh, but I'm going to use your baby as a weapon. <laughs> 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 so just a back and forth of, let's be friends. No, but I'm going to use your baby as a weapon. Fuck off. No, okay, let's not then. <laughs> so, and yeah, just that was interesting. And it kind of made, the inev- I mean, the guy could attract metal. You kind of knew what the boss would be. You know, he'd turn into some metal monster and you'd have to find a way. <laughs> Having this weird tank thing that you could shoot him with. Yeah. And I think the fact that it then leads into this whole, the death of Ethan, if you will, it just feels like, oh, okay, that's that then. Unfortunately for me, having a pre-release copy, it, it comes with this whole... Um, list of things you can't talk about must not say you know before release like that and of course some of it points out actual plot spoilers of the game so but I tried not to read them because I didn't need to really because I wasn't going to say anything and I'm not reviewing it at that point but um, (laughs) I had to catch the bit about saying do not mention that you can play as Chris and I was like oh so so I guess we're playing at Chris at some point and yeah when Ethan died I thought well here we get them they came in and over so this will be the Chris section and the Chris section is quite cool I think, you know, it's like it shows Chris Redfield for what he's supposed to be at that point. You know, mm. when Ethan is quite, you know, skilled and he's taken all these things on. But, you know, Chris is like, you know, the boulder punching motherfucker as we know him. He, <laughs> he is going to be, you know, tooled up to the nines and be this really badass soldier. And he is. And I think it's a nice sort of release after this sort of, you know, sections you've had with Ethan and you know, where you're sort of surviving by the skin of your teeth. Um, I liken it to um, to Metal Gear Solid 2 in terms of the dynamic between Raiden and uh, Snake in that you know, Chris is your Snake and Raiden is your Ethan. You know, it's like this character that's trying to be like the one that everyone knows and likes like that and then that character comes up and sort of shows them up and shows how big a hero they are and it really sort of pushes Chris forward as a character you know for so long he's been you know he was a star of Resident Evil 5 and he really didn't evolve in any way you know you learn nothing about him apart from that he hates Wesker and that's it (laughs) it's like we knew that already (laughs) yeah well it's coming back to your point about like Resident Evil has had these very iconic characters but none of them are necessarily all that fleshed out past Mm. I hate this person. I want to. Uh, this is my goal. This is what I have to do. But you kind of just know them at this sort of surface level glance at everything about them and their personality through their temperament and whatnot. Talking about Jill sandwiches and things of the like. I mean, yeah. Resident Evil has never really done a good job of sort of like actually capturing the true identity of a character or maybe distinguishing it enough past mm-hmm. their motivations. Um, in some ways, because again, I haven't played all of uh, all the revelations and everything like that. Yeah, but which, from know. my general general experience with Resident Evil, that has been uh, the case. So I think it was cool that 
they do a, a gameplay shift where it's like a majority of the game is action horror and then that whole Chris segment just feels like a straight up action first person shooter emphasis like you said you never have to worry about ammo you've got grenades stun grenades all of these uh, things that you basically never run out of you've got that laser targeter so you yeah. can call in airstrikes and stuff basically a hammer actually, door <laughs> yeah exactly exa- exactly and I think that that tonally is a good shift because like you said you've sort of been being sort of coy in certain sections with ammo management and item resources and being sure that you have enough resources to craft that one last thing that you need and then you get this 30 minute stretch where you don't have to worry about any of that mm. and it does feel like sort of a breath of fresh air without the constraints of that Heisenberg boss fight which I I didn't really enjoy that section just because of how just like you okay you've got this tank and you've got a missile launcher and a machine gun and all this stuff and it's like okay it just doesn't feel like something that Ethan would be involved in right because it's yeah. so it's so in contrast with the majority of what his experience in the game has been that to have him be in that moment, it would almost make more sense for like Chris to have that kind of moment. Right. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, yeah, narratively like, that doesn't make sense, but in terms of like those two characters and their personas, at least within the context of village. Yeah. And yeah, it seems what they're going for is like, you know, they're trying to make out the iceberg. is like the big finale in a way, which is stupid because you know, it's not, you know, yeah, you know at that exactly. point, it's like you still got to beat Mother Miranda. You know that that's the way of it. You know, ultimately, you know, she gets one over on Ethan, as we said, and basically you know, rips his heart out, and then he's in death. And the Chris section then serves for him to find Mia, the real Mia, because you know, the reason that Mia was killed by Chris Redfield is that she wasn't actually Mia; she was Lady Miranda who can shapeshift and you know all that. It's you know, sounds stupid at the time you know like well, that's rather convenient sort of thing in plot device but you know the old lady you see during around the village is her you know that's Miranda and that becomes clear that you've been sort of cajoled along the way as some sort of project because she sees what Ethan truly is you know which uh, we'll, we'll get on to I'm sure in a minute but uh, yes um, so when Chris does find Mia of course uh he has to sort of tell her the bad news that Ethan's dead and all this like that and Mia basically says to him you know, no 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 you don't understand you don't understand how special he is and you find out this uh, in itself it is a very interesting revelation I think as as far as the game goes that Ethan the first time he went into the house in Resident Evil 7 he died you know, Jack Baker killed him outright and he was just another mold person you know but something kept him somewhat sentient. And as we were saying earlier, there were clues in that game, like his leg being locked off and it never being mentioned again, and yet he walked perfectly fine and all this, and he was able to use his hand despite it being stapled together. And the fact that throughout this game, and it is so blatantly obvious, and every time I was playing it and anyone pre-release was playing it, it said the same thing, I'm sure, where there was like, hmm, okay, um, they don't like his hands. They really don't yeah. like Ethan's hands. <laughs> and because, you know, his hand gets sliced off, sliced in half and like that. And, you know, absurd stuff. And you know, at one point after getting uh, Lady Dimitres, uh slices his hand off in quite um, silly fashion uh, where he just sort of looks at it like and swears. So you go, well, that'd be interesting. How does he get on with that? that and he just literally just picks it up and puts it back on <laughs> just like and you're like okay like that and everyone 
everyone after when you see them on Twitter sort of says the same thing like oh the video is how the fuck do you do that like that is like you wanted to say if there's a point (laughs) I mean when I experienced that moment I immediately messaged you and I was like am I missing something did I forget something from Seven where he can just reattach his limbs at will because and I sort of just had to be like glossing over that and just be like okay it's just remember, this is Resident Evil. Everybody's eventually going to turn into some kind of like tentacle monster or yeah. people regrow limbs, just go with it. And then I actually found it pretty satisfying having that revelation, right? Because then it provides legitimate context in terms of the narrative to this kind of moment that in the moment is very silly. But I think overall, it made for a really, really satisfying moment that makes me look at Resident Evil 7 in a whole new light. And it makes me want to go back and play 7 again so that I can have that revelation in mind while these certain sort of moments that i thought were ludicrous or ridiculous or just chalking them up to oh this is just a video game this is the type of shit that happens sometimes giving it that new context i think gives it more meaning to it obviously and i think that that ultimately will just make for a very an interesting perspective in my inevitable like replay of seven and then another inevitable replay going into village yeah and it grounds the idea of damage taken and healing in the games like basically Ethan's using the, the health uh, herbs is almost a placebo yeah, because he has always had this ability to put stuff back on uh, it makes this absurd thing kind of make sense and uh, it, it's not the only time that happens I think throughout the game there are just there are instances where they sort of explain away things like how is the merchant you know, how is Duke able to be sat in the castle, Dimitres? You know, it's like and having a shop. It's like, oh, it's like you look around. There are clues that say that you know they have a deal in between. You know, in terms of dealing with the, each of the lords and stuff, and he can get, come and go as he pleases. You know, still doesn't explain how the fuck he gets half the places he does. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but that was always the, the fun of the original merchant. He just show up and uh, be there. Yeah, I mean. Just, just to touch on Duke for a second. It's like I, I understood a lot of the concern seeing the character originally that it looked like he was set up to be some the butt of fat jokes, you know, being, being what he was, because you know he he is a very large man, you know, and he does have this you know, a thing about food, which ties into uh, the fact that you can hunt certain animals and use the meat to boost your health and things. Uh, but as a character, he's, he's one of the more interesting people in, in the game. You know, he's you know, he turns out to be quite one of my one of my favourites. I'd say you know, in terms of that, he's always got a witty word to say, and always seems to be playing with Ethan in terms of what he's doing and stuff. And it's, but he retains mystery, you know, despite all that. You know, and I like that that you don't you never you come out of that game not really knowing what he was all about you know he is just he, he values his customers that much <laughs> that he he was willing to help you out um but yes to get back to that so we had the revelation that's all great that that is in itself not great for Ethan you know because you know, that that sort of, I mean imagine the finding that out that you are you know, what you are, you know, like that, you know. And this, what I found most interesting actually about that is that you think about it like this. It's a Resident Evil game 
where you're playing as a zombie the entire time. Seven and eight, you are playing as a zombie. And it's like, and that is almost like the perfect inversion of the whole thing. And it's like, you are a zombie killing living things because everything in that game is a living thing. And it's like, it's like, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a really cool way of doing things. And I think that sort of informs the way he then behaves later on in, in the game where he's like, he realizes that he's forever tied to the thing that gives Miranda her power and, you know, that he will never really be free of it. He would just be, you know, he's a, he's a giant mushroom at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we have the whole big encounter with, with Mother Miranda, which is my least favorite boss battle in the entire game. It just, it, it just did nothing for me. It looks good. Yeah, she she's a very well designed monster character when she does sort of mutate, but she felt very pointless to the story overall. Apart from you know taking, uh, I get that she had her motivation and why she did this and all that, but she just never felt like part of it. You know, Heisenberg had been built up so much at that point to be like the main antagonist. So by the end, you know, he was out there to sort of have this coup to take power from her and. She just ends up feeling like Dimitres part two, really. Yeah, that's how I would put it too. And I think she's just so bullet spongy. And this is actually one of the issues that I kind of had with the enemies as much as I love the variety of them is that I encountered a lot of sort of just bullet spongy enemies um, in terms of just even the lichens I found. Sometimes if you're not, unless you're using like a shotgun or an explosive, obviously. Yeah. I found that like my handguns, even when they were maxed out in damage, they would just kind of not even flinch sometimes unless you shot them directly in the face, which is definitely more difficult, obviously, because they're kind of like maneuvering more and yeah. trying to dodge your aim and doing that stagger step that they uh, were doing in four. But now, obviously, it's more prevalent um, here, especially with the lichens. Mm. Um, and that bleeds into the bosses in a way that I was not crazy about because I was trying to think like how if I was to play this on hardcore difficulty or whatever the harder difficulty is, where there's more limited ammo and there's going to be more limited crafting supplies. I don't even know how I'd get through that stronghold section where it's like you're just going through waves and waves and waves. And I actually, for my second replay, I wanted to do the harder difficulty. And it's like that first lichen encounter when you get swarmed in the village. I I was just like, fuck that. I'm going to replay on normal again because it's just I just kept running out of ammo and I'm not going to use the knife. And then you have to kill a certain amount of them. It's not like you're running out of clock until... Uh, the castle bell rings and then they retreat you have to kill a certain amount of them or you have to deal enough damage to the sort of like XL lichen that's got that battle hammer it looks like a troll and so I was just trying to imagine what that final boss fight would be like given I played on normal and I had a disgusting amount of ammunition and explosives and I still was down to like my last 10 pistol rounds before I killed Miranda just because of how spongy she is yeah I mean I mean that's quite an important thing even on lower difficulties is that you do get a healthy amount of ammo but it's surprising how quickly it, it could just drain in one because you, you're never quite sure what's coming in the first run or two and as a result you end up you know wasting a lot of ammo where you shouldn't have you know it's a game that seems more designed to be confrontational you know in terms of you, you should fight every enemy sort of thing whereas you know Resident Evil its core should be about conserving your ammo where you can running by where you can and you kind of forget that because the game has been teaching you to shoot everything especially as you get stuff off enemies you know constantly as a result 
yeah, that's the only point where it sort of messes up the, the balance of things, I think, where you could just be maybe a little more uh, uh, forgiving in terms of how you do it. I think, unfortunately, the only section that really teaches you to not worry about ammo is the one where they take your guns away, and that, that's it. So <laughs> I think, no, to be fair, uh, when you get to Heisenberg's section and you had the, the, the cyber zombie types... You know, they make a point of saying, you know, you're not going to take these out unless you take, you know, hit this one with explosives first, or if you hit that, you know, red target, you know, which they guard. And that it was again, which was a very, uh, as much as that whole stage felt very Resident Evil Five, it definitely also pulled back to the Regenerators of, of yes. Resident Evil Four in, in terms of how you know how you approach those enemies. Yeah, I think that that's. I keep thinking about that section and how it just felt like Wolfenstein to me. We were just fighting these like mechanized monsters. It just kind of felt like Wolfenstein. But I think in that section, at least, even though I might have had less ammo, it's still like, okay, you have to shoot this part and then it stuns them and then it makes them vulnerable. Whereas I found with some of the sort of just, we'll call them fodder enemies, they didn't necessarily go down as easily and I felt like I was just kind of like pumping these pistol rounds into them until it got to the point where I was like yeah I have to kill all these guys because there's no real way to sneak around them right I mean when you're in the castle you can sort of you sneak around the big boss right you or you basically just run from her daughters Um, also in mentioning the daughters I was incredibly underwhelmed by the daughters in that each of those segments just felt like I was just kind of, again, exposing them to the outside air and then pumping them full of rounds. Yeah. And it kind of just felt like a return of the same tactic three times. I think yeah. the castle yeah. section kind of reveals how a lot of the lords and, of course, all the monsters are very iconic looking. But I think in terms of, like, the mini boss fights, I wanted a bit more variety in terms of, like, tactics. How can I smartly take them out yeah. rather than exploit this singular weakness three times in three separate events. Yeah, I think I treated those, those fights as uh, puzzles rather than boss fights. Mm. Because the idea is like, figure out how you're going to get the cold air in it. I mean, again, I like the take on that it wasn't daylight that, that did the vampires, you know, it was the air, you know, the, the cold, because they aren't really vampires. You know, the, the, the daughters are made up of flies, basically. You know, the, the, which is really cool I mean, as much mm-hmm. as that section wasn't as good as hoped you know the whole thing behind their creation and all that was really fascinating I like that and um, you know and I liked how playful and you know, malicious they could be with, with you but yeah it's yeah it could have been better with how they're dealt with and I get you would have to stretch the game out far further and then I think we discussed this with Alien Isolation. It's like there are people that complained that game went 15 hours. Mm. You know, it's like this does this goes, this goes to the point it should. I think, and when people said that about Alien Isolation, they were saying you know 10 hours done that would have been fine. Like that, and it's like you could see that. You could say fair enough by that. This is a game that has makes those compromises and says, okay, we're gonna have to rein that in. We we'll have to make this nothing huge and. Yeah, I, I wonder, personally, with how I found the game the first time, especially to be quite, not unchallenging, but I think there were two points in the game I really died a lot in, and that was the initial part where Heisenberg puts you in his little trap at the beginning of the game, 
<laughs> Simply because I didn't see the, the alcove in the wall where yes. the spike trap was. Yeah. And the second time was during the fish battle where you do the, the platforms and uh, have to time the, the switches. Like, other than that, I found myself sort of like always like almost being killed by stuff and then sort of making it through. I don't, know, I don't know if that was just because I've played so many Resident Evil games recently that it, I was numb to the fear of what we're fighting, or if it's just because you get past that Beneviento section and that in itself is the only time you really feel helpless you know, in the entire game. And after that, I, I said to you earlier that you do the doll fight, the doll hide-and-seek thing afterwards, and it feels like nothing after that. You know, You feel kind of liberated. Like the game has been, and it's another argument for saying why that should be later in the game, because maybe then you wouldn't feel quite so, you know, badass for the rest of the game. You're like, oh fuck it, I, t- I took on the giant baby and the killer dolls. This is nothing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so big fish, fuck it, Terminators, fuck them. It's like we can right. do it. I mean, how, so how long did it take you to uh, complete the game? I'm curious, because the length of this game has been a lot of. There's been a lot of talk online about it. Um, but eight nine hours. I think the first yeah, time it took it took me about eight and a half hours. And the exact moments that you mentioned about dying more than once were the same moments for me, right? Yeah. I didn't see the alcove when that spinning blade is coming down to the point where I was like, "Am I just completely blind? How did I not see this?" And it is in a place where it's like you can barely see it because of how it melds into the wall. Um, but then. Like for the only boss that I think I died at was Miranda at the end, and that's yeah. just because again she's so bullet spongy and it takes so long to just kind of just pump rounds into her and dodging and all this stuff. I'm trying to think what other moment I died at. Probably the fish platform because you really have to get that timing yeah, just perfect. That's but it. I think that's why I was so underwhelmed by a majority of the bosses was because I it only took me one go to beat yeah, them, it did. the majority it did. of them and it, there was no none of that usual slowdown where it's like okay it's gonna have multiple forms and i need to watch out for this attack because this one attack that they throw in every five or six attacks might be an instant kill type move which you're so used to with resident evil and there's typically if you use one specific type of weapon it will stun them for a period of time in a way that none of your other weapons do and yeah i really felt like there was none of that again a shotgun to the head or a grenade launcher to the head is going to make something stumble, but it didn't feel like I was using different tactics for anything. It felt like I was just kind of waiting for a moment and pumping as many rounds into them as I could, Hmm. which didn't give me a lot of the sort of tactical variety that I would want, even if the variety of the look and types of enemies I was fighting um, was very varied. But in terms of like the length of this game, I saw some people before the release, they found out the ballpark is supposed to be like around 10 hours or something like that, mm-hmm. 9 to 10. But after playing this game, I would not want this game to be any longer than the eight and a half, mm-hmm. nine, nine and a half hours. That's Because it does what it yeah. does. Yeah. That's, that's Resi. No Resi lasts a long time. It, it, it just. I, I think there are people that maybe feel like classic Resi and think, well, that's it. You know, they forget that you can replay these things. So, you know, it isn't all over in the first time. But, yeah, I mean, I get the uh, argument when it was the remake of Resident Evil 3 because they cut stuff out, you know, stuff that was important to the story, and the game was really short. You know, it's like, if you take it on its own principles, 
it works for the pacing of that game. But if anyone had played the original game, they'd be more annoyed because there's so much stuff they could have done like that and, and the way they did it. So there, I get the argument, oh, that's too short, especially for the price. And you can see that they added that whole multiplayer side to it for that reason. Here, no, this is perfect. Fucking perfect. Like, you know, before this, several games I put as many hours into and hadn't finished, you know, and then this one I've played twice, basically, in like, you know, 20 hours in. It's great. Uh, it's wonderful to be done like that. And I prefer that. Uh, maybe that's just an age thing at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like when you're, or maybe it's the fact that, you know, it's like uh, a job like this where, you know, like another game's coming, another game's coming, another game's coming. You kind of want to fit stuff in. And it's like I was going into another playthrough and thinking, yeah, I, I could do another playthrough. And then, of course, other other things came up I had to play. And it's like, and then you kind of, it drops the wayside. It happens to every game. It's not just Resident Evil. You know, and so it's nice when a game is shorter in that regard. Because you know, I think the other thing that maybe came up with uh, this game feeling not so difficult in the boss fights was I'd just been playing Returnal before I started and those boss fights are fucking brutal you know and they are all about memorizing patterns and dodging and jumping and doing the right thing at the right time and getting lucky they in themselves are more survival (laughs) based than than this and so the simple patterns of village just felt trivial at that point you know it's like oh okay I see it so I think for me maybe it was just the benefit of that that coming out of playing that helps me in this yeah and I think had the game been any longer I mean what would they have included it would I feel like we would have gotten more and more segments like the stronghold mm. onslaught that just goes on way too long and again like I I'm accepting the fact that we're moving in a more action oriented uh, direction than even seven but at the same time I don't necessarily think that it needs to evolve into this like wave combat because no. some of those sections just felt like mercenaries mode to me yeah. in a way and oh, at yeah. least with mercenaries mode you're not worrying about ammo management as much which I think if you, we can both attest to if you've played the uh, mercenaries mode that you unlock once you complete the main game which is not a surprise to anybody that's played Resident Evil but um, I kind of just felt like those were mercenary mode segments to the degree where it's noticeable I was like, okay, so when is this going to end? Which I feel should never be the case when you're playing a game. Like, this section needs to end because all I can think about is like, okay, if there's a boss at the end of this or there's like a mid-tier boss, I'm fucked because I just used all my ammo killing these 30 guys. Literally, that one section in the stronghold, I think, you have to kill a wave of like 30 guys to the point that it does. you forget that you're playing Resident Evil because I'm just like, okay, I got to kill this guy, kill this guy, kill this guy, reload, run around, craft, do all these different things that it's so immediate and so confrontational that it kind of, it made me slightly hesitant about the future of Resident Evil and that I really hope that the next Resident Evil or what, whether it be DLC or whatever, that it strikes the balance that a majority of this game does, hmm. that it doesn't try to emulate the much later parts of the game because in Village... I think it ending on a more action-oriented note makes sense in terms of structurally how this game is made and yeah. how it's paced and all these things. But I'm really worried that they might 
with the success of Resident Evil Village, be like, oh, okay, so they want more action. And then we get five and six, but with the first person perspective, because that is very much not the element that I think shines the most in Village. I think Village shines because it's able to be a hybrid of all of these different things, classic Resident Evil with the new, more action-oriented nature of Resident Evil. And to make something that does not retain this balance for a majority of the game, I would be very hesitant about them kind of pursuing that in a 10-hour experience that resembles the back half of Village in a way that I don't think, for me at least, would not sustain for the entirety of an ex- Resident Evil experience. Yeah, which um, kind of brings us to the ending and uh, mid-credits end, if you will. Um, yeah, of course, the ending goes that Ethan sacrifices himself uh, to ensure that the mole is killed off forever, blah, 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 like that. And so everyone else escaped. Once again, everyone else escapes on some sort of aerial vehicle as something <laughs> blows up. That, that is so Resident Evil, it hurts. It's like <laughs> Chris Redfield in a helicopter or a plane as something explodes at the end of a game is such a staple at this point that it was almost parody uh, that it happened. And that kind of fed into why I was a bit underwhelmed at that point. And uh, like I said before, you don't kind of care enough about Ethan for his sacrifice to really make it feel like it's worth it. You know, it's like, I, I get it. You know, it's like, he's not a real person. He doesn't feel like a real person. What's the point? What, what will he be without a thing that made him? You know, is he just going to turn into nothingness? And I don't think he wants to find out. He did what he came to do. That's, that's a nice poignant point. You know, he came, his mission was always to save his daughter and it, uh, as pure as that you know and that was key is that like with Mia that was key to driving what was left of him as a human being you know to do what he needed to do and sort of fight being like everything else that had been turned by this stuff and, that, and that, that, that's nice I like that part of it then we get that sequence at the end you know with, where they flash forward significantly and Rose is now a teenager and it's interesting in what it could set up because you know they establish Rose has powers because of everything because she's I mean there's the other thing you've got to think about that she's the child of a human being and a mushroom and (laughs) (laughs) a magic mushroom (laughs) And, and she has she's basically Evelyn Mark II as they put it you know she has the powers of Evelyn but she is human and they set this thing up she's at the grave of Ethan and some FBI looking guys that have come to take her away to sort of say she's needed so she's clearly using her powers for something and yeah that's intriguing the setup of like we're gonna have like old man Chris uh, maybe and like that and yeah, so he could be redesigned for the 19th time. The thing that bothers me is that if she's being lined up to be the protagonist for the next game with powers, that's where we start worrying about action. You know, because then is it really Resident Evil you know, in, in the same sense when you are the one wielding, the, you, when you are the Albert Wesker circa Resident Evil 5 sort of character but I do remember that 
you know, this was allegedly the spin-off game they were going to do, and maybe that's changed now, as I said, and this would in much the same way that, you know, Resident Evil Nemesis was supposed to be a spin-off game, but ended up being the numbered sequel, while the actual Resident Evil 3 ended up being Cobra Veronica. I reckon the next game will be a bit wildly different on purpose, and will be like the Code Veronica to this four, if you will. It's I think she will have a spin-off game that will tie into and maybe she becomes like the big bad that you end up having to deal with in Resident Evil 9 10? 10 it'll be then Christ Jesus these games Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think they've also said the story will end uh, this particular whole story segment will end with 9 so I, I say she 9 will be the next mainstream game but this will be her story will be a spin-off somewhere in the middle I hope so because I worry that having her as the lead in a Resident Evil game with that power would be a problem. Yeah, that was literally my thought when I finished the game. I was like, okay, well, she's going to have the same regenerative powers as her father, but that's no longer a secret or a twist that you can incorporate Mm. into the narrative. So the only way that they can move with those powers is to move on up and just show how she is able to use them now in a combat focus or a puzzle focus potentially. So again, if it's a spinoff, I don't really, I guess, have a problem with that, but to, the idea that a main, a main uh, series, Resident Evil, that would kind of delve into now supernatural action rather than just sort yeah. of like horror action, I really don't think that 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 would almost um, turn into something like a second. I think that game was called Second Sight, where it was this blending of like third-person action shooter with psychic yeah. powers or psyops or something like that. There's two of them. They're they're, they're both true. They're both true. They're both- there what is what it was that whole Armageddon Deep Impact thing where both came out around the same time doing the <laughs> same sort of thing. But, uh, okay, so this is not a new idea. If I was able to think of uh, think of that up in like thirty <laughs> seconds, but um, anyways, yeah, the idea that that would be incorporated into Resident Evil at that point, it's like, well, okay, so we're only using Resident Evil in name now because it's not really technically anything like Resident Evil has been, and I think. It's, it's double-edged sword in a way because it's like, yes, Resident Evil, we've been applauding it for redefining the expectations for the series, whether that be adjusting the gameplay, the perspective type things. But mm. at the same time, you can't redefine it so much that it no longer resembles what you once loved about the series or what was once at the inception of the series and what kind of gave it its name and what it made its bones on. Because that's why at the end of the day, I was never one of those people that was like, Resident Evil 4, it's changing the perspective. It's more action. It's not Resident Evil. Oh, Resident I Evil was. 7, it's first person. <laughs> I remember. I remember. <laughs> but my point in being and mentioning that is that I always felt that Resident Evil 4, and especially Resident Evil 7, they still retained enough for me about what I loved about Resident Evil hmm. that I could accept that they were parts of the core franchise, that they yeah. weren't these weird one-offs. And... While I mean, maybe you had to. It took you a while to like come to grips with four, and it's more action oriented nature. I think, uh, at least I, from what I've gathered of what you have told me about your experience on replays and whatnot, it at least feels like it belongs in the same universe of yeah. Resident Evil. It doesn't feel like it is this odd one-off that is just Resident Evil because hey, a game that has Resident Evil slapped on it will market well. It feels like it is a different evolution of the core experience of those first three games or first the first four games. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm open to them redefining things and changing things around, but 
when you start basically like introducing superpowers and things to that extent, it's like now we're dabbling more into five and six territory, which yeah. I would like us to evolve in a direction that is far, far away from those. Yeah, and there's always been a sort of dangerous edge to this. I think the remake of three sort of proved that, you know, that Capcom haven't entirely learned what what to do. They've made some smart decisions in terms of remaking fan favorites and taking other people's ideas to make Resident Evil relevant again, you know, the seven and eight. But yeah, there are always these little warning signs that they don't quite get it. Uh, the Heisenberg the tank fight, the the, the brevity and uh, action-oriented nature of Resident Evil 3. That, you know, for a game that was already very action-oriented uh, in its original form and got criticism for that time, um, is very much worse in that respect uh, this time around and feels like a lesser experience because of you know, the fact they cut so much out of that. And even two remake which I think is as far as remakes go is a superb mm-hmm. remake uh, and it does a few things different that I'm not a fan of like the second playthroughs that should be more full flat experiences than they are that turn into smaller things and I get it and I get that uh, with, over the last few games they sort of worked with a smaller budget than they would normally have used to have done for stuff like five or six and got bigger revenue out of it for doing that. You know, there's a running joke that uh, was made uh, about the books that appear in two, three remake and seven. The the same assets get used a lot in all of those. And it was, uh, I think it was Andy Kelly of PC Gamer on uh, Twitter who sort of, was obsessed with that idea and then he was a bit disappointed to get to Village and find out they put new books in there and in, in, <laughs> in the library and stuff yeah so I think they've come through a period where they've consolidated and made sure that they could make Resident Evil safe again it's not unlike what Sony had to do with the PlayStation brand from PS3 era you know where they were trying to do all sorts of crazy outlandish stuff with this uh, 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 high premium and it didn't work so then they had to work hard and do the right thing and get all these great things out and they did it and uh, the lesson they ended up learning from it was well if we do this one thing it'll make us lots of money and then they forgot about the other stuff that did help along the way and Capcom again have got to think that they revitalized Devil May Cry by making sure they evoke the roots of the series but again, warning signs were there. Resident Evil marrying stuff other people have done to the stuff they know worked. But never has it seemed like they've truly moved on from what they could do. And I totally get the criticism that people make about when it does get outlandish, when the endings are still basically the same endings over and over again. You know, I mean, Capcom, even at their highest point, were stealing endings from one game to the next. Uh, Resident Evil 4's ending is Devil May Cry's ending in all but that you have a jet ski instead of flying. <laughs> you know, it, it's... Yeah. Which, you know, I had no problem with because Devil May Cry's ending is awesome. But <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that later in the year when that series has its 20th anniversary. But, yeah, so I, I really hope they learn something from all this. But... 
the multiplayer stuff especially is what makes me go they're still persevering with doing multiplayer stuff that doesn't fucking work and you look at Reverse that you know got delayed and was supposed to ship this yeah the the beta for that was awful like that thing should not exist I hope they quietly just shelve that and say no because it will die it will not get any traction Uh, they tried resistance was interesting you know but they executed it badly and it it didn't work and I think maybe they're taking the smart route by just sort of lending out the Resident Evil license to stuff like Dead by Daylight uh, later this year that way they can get the name out and into other properties they've been doing that all year to be fair since Resistance came out and flopped, you know, they put Resident Evil and the Division 2 as well. There was lots of cool stuff in there. You know, it was like, you know, that, I mean, I didn't really care huge amounts for the Division, but the most I played for it was when that event was going on because you get all these uh, classic Resi character costumes and collecting all those bits together have got you this Nemesis mask. And it was like, yeah, it was like, so that, that's a good way of doing it because you know, the multiplayer games have been rank for years you know it's like outside the co-op experiences but so less of that try and find you know focus on what people have really enjoyed about this not doing cosplay and filthy images of Lady Dimitres Let, <laughs> let's focus on the fact that it's you know Donna Beneviento and that whole section is what people really sort of true to. And you know, it's not saying repeat that for an entire game, because that would wear out so fast. You know, and that section in itself isn't original. Again, it's just another a continuation on make taking advantage of what Konami left on the table with Silent Hills and the PT demo. But learn the fact that people are happy with the series doing ambitious stuff. Uh, and it, take note of the fact that that has been the thing that have consistently been called out as being the part that people really love and be surprised by and had a great reaction to whereas it's the very normal resi stuff that people have been divided by and been a bit you know if you're a long term fan maybe you don't care so much about the goofy stuff and the silly stuff and the melodramatic stuff but yeah, it's also maybe is time to move on from it a little bit. You know, you can have a bit of it, but they do push it too far. I completely forgot what verse was when I opened up my box and I was like, "What the <laughs> fuck? What the fuck is it?" Like I had completely forgotten it or written it off and whatnot. And as soon as I kind of like looked into what it is, I was like, "Okay, so you're going this route instead of trying to formulate something similar to like an outbreak, right?" Yeah, because I think that is the only scenario where I would ever be interested in Resident Evil Online Absolutely. is including some type of co-op thing and of course those games are far from perfect but they still felt like Resident Evil and they felt like they were true to the core of Resident Evil in a lot of ways yeah. and this idea that we might get something kind of similar to like uh, Racco- Operation Raccoon City or uh, no 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 what was the other one Umbrella Ops uh, Umbrella or, Corps yeah yeah Umbrella Corp like getting something like that which I'm just like oh shit i hope we are not gonna see a future where we keep trying to make this thing that does not work work um and so yeah i think what you're saying like in the law in the short term seeing them license out 
the Resident Evil stuff to different games. And I mean, for Dead by Daylight, it has to be Lady Dimitrescu, right? That's good. That has to be the next maybe. killer, right? You would you would assume maybe. I mean, I think give it everything. I think that they may have made that decision now. I think originally they might have used someone more traditional, like, like mm. Tyrant or Nemesis. But yeah, I, I think they'd probably turn around and go, well, actually, what difference does it make if we use this character instead? Yeah. It's like, and yeah, people will go nuts for that. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, the fanfare around her, uh, her character. I mean, it, it seems Jesus. like that would be the most yeah. viable choice, even if maybe it's not the one that uh, that is the most sort of like in line with the realm of sort of just like classic Resident Evil properties and things like yeah. that. But, I mean, she has become the Boba Fett of this series now. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. she's nothing character in a lot of ways, but because that was the advertising focus and because people picked up on that early on, Capcom continued to make that the advertising focus. Yeah, she's bigger than the character she is, and that's great in a way because Resident Evil has not had a character like that in a long time. You know, that has to be said. You know, you think back, it's Wesker or it's Nemesis. Everything else, Mister X got a little bit of that, you know, in the remake, but it's been pretty much a while since we've had such an impact for for a character like that. You can't resent that, you know. It's like whatever your feelings on how it was executed, you know, they've made a, a cultural phenomenon in itself. Yeah, you know, my gripes with sort of like the boss fights and things like that, I think they are outshined by just how iconic a lot of these characters are. None of them obviously are as iconic, I think, as Lady Dimitrescu, but at the same time, all of them feel so unique and different from what we've seen in past Resident Evils. And that's yeah. an element that's really important, I think. We didn't get the Baker family 2.0. We got a completely fucked up rogues gallery of these like gothic horror creatures that kind of touch upon different genres of horror in a lot of ways. And I think that that is what I want to see more of moving forwards, whether yeah. it's going to be a single player or, or a multiplayer focus with whatever they're doing. I want to see more of that variety in terms of bringing us new horrors whether it be the environmental or if it's literally the characters themselves or even just sort of like fodder enemies Mm. i even appreciated that with village this idea that you weren't killing the same black sludge monster for eight and a half hours which was one of my big problems with um re7 and this sure there isn't much variation between the lichens and the uh skeleton zombies if you will but at the same time, they are representative of the environment that you're encountering them in, and their tactics do vary a little bit, right? Yeah. This idea that they do the same stutter dodge type thing, but the lichens, when you're walking through the village, they're sort of like perched on rooftops watching you. And then it's only once you get close enough that they start to slowly rise and then they swarm. Yeah. Whereas the zombie skeletons, you hear them and they kind of are like cl- crawling out of walls. They're falling from the ceiling type thing. So... There's just enough variety that throughout the entire course of the game, I felt overall the execution was not necessarily the best in all regards, but it feels like the right evolution on a lot of things that I wanted them to work on building from the base of seven. Absolutely. It's, you know, I think it's just a care and love for Resident Evil that really sort of makes this criticism sound more than it is. You know, it's, 
I think it's good to be critical of things you love and Resident Evil has been a very easy one to do that with because it has done some fucking horrendous things over the years <laughs> and this is not one of them you know as much as it has its problems it, you know, 7 has its problems I still really like 7 you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, 5 as much as I dislike 5 for what it does to the formula and what, you know, the fact that it created 6 and uh, those two games are like two of the most you know two of the best selling games in the entire franchise I, I appreciate what 5 does in terms of co-op and in terms of the, it has its moments and cool bits to it but yeah, so there's always something salvageable even 6 you know, even 6 which is you know, a write off in so many ways has the Leon sections which feel a bit more traditional you know and feel a bit more like classic resi uh, unfortunately, they don't last, and uh, there's all the other stuff that, like, that comes in between. But it, it's there, you know. It's never truly lost uh, as a series, and I'm glad that this does feel like a celebration of everything Resident Evil can do, while still taking it that little bit further forward. And I think the fact that it is divisive as a game and the people that hate this part and that part and people that love those parts is great because it means it's done something out of the ordinary. You know, it's not as basic as I like Resident Evil 5 because co-op, you know, and because, as I've stressed before, co-op can make even the worst game tolerable you know Aliens Colony Marines awful game in co-op it's a hoot because even when it's going to shit you're still doing it with someone else you know it's but here uh, this is it's a celebration of Resident Evil it it promises stuff for the future that you're uncertain of I I must say you know I'm certainly uncertain of where it should lead and it, it could, if it goes one way and makes that character the villain great that could be cool because then it starts to become more like fear you know and, and, and that kind of game but on the other hand you switch around and I could totally see it and you being her because you know you, this, the last two games you've been a zombie why not be the fucking supernatural big bad as well in the next game if that's the plan with Capcom that they want to have this sort of inversion of what you've done in the series so far but uh, not to discredit Capcom as a whole but I don't think that that's really what they're thinking with that yeah and if they uh, now that you mention it like them making a resi in the same vein as like a fear or something is Mm. not something that I'm opposed to but I will say the one thing that I think really became apparent for me with Village especially towards the end with those like the Chris section with the more action oriented nature they're going to need to redesign the handling I think Mm. on weapons in terms of that's one of my complaints I think in the more action oriented nature again like early on when you're in the castle you're walking through the basement and uh, the flooded, blood flooded basement and everything it's such tight quarters that the combat really works in a way yeah. that I think is great because you're obviously very claustrophobic. There's only a handful of enemies, but I think some of the imperfections in the weapons handling in this game really comes out, especially in those more hectic moments yeah. when you're facing entire gangs of guys. And of course, 
Resident Evil is not a series that started out, obviously, as a first-person shooter or anything like that. So the idea that they have to play catch-up a little bit is understandable. But I think in what we've been saying, the future of Resi is only going to be more action. I think no matter how much wishful thinking we have, I have a feeling that is the direction they're heading in. And I just hope that they put the tecker in terms of like the handling overhaul into that to really make that work. Because if you have the sort of like groundwork, obviously, of any first person shooter that feels in line with being very sort of reactionary or at least just tighter in terms of handling, then that entire experience can work better. Yeah. And you are going to be sacrificing more of the horror elements for an action oriented one in that nature. But so long as you have the handling and the system to back up the more action-oriented first-person moments, that doesn't really matter because then you get something like fear, which is able to incorporate scary moments, traditional moments, into a kick-ass first-person shooter that holds up, I don't know even how many years now it's been. What has it been, 20 years almost since fear was released? That game still holds up. It's been a while, yeah. (laughs) I still probably play that game once a year if not every other year because it holds up that well and it it's the perfect sort of thing where it's like okay it's fun to play from a first person perspective but then of course there's the horror influence that complements it and it doesn't really overshadow anything but yeah that was my my mini fear rant <laughs> I think um, you know, as a franchise Resident Evil has always sort of looked to what other people have done and then sort of incorporated that you know even in the earliest parts, you know, Alone in the Dark and Clock Tower were there doing that stuff. And they came in and went, okay, we'll take that, we'll a bit of that, and voila, they made it and it worked, you know, and it, it was very much true as seven. You know, it, it took everything that had happened in the last few years since Resident Evil had been relevant as an actual survival horror series and, and returned to that. So, I'm hoping they're getting to that again, where they're looking for the next uh, thing that works. Because usually, as we said, Capcom are a few years behind. Uh, They spent most of the Xbox 360, PS3 generation being very behind the West. And that's not just them. That that was the whole of uh, Japanese uh, development because Western development had suddenly taken over in, in terms of how games were made and how games were done. So it made it very confusing for them to sort of adapt to that and change how games worked. And that's why we ended up with stuff like Resident Evil 5 and 6, you know, where they were very confused why we ended up with Umbrella Corps and why we ended up with uh, Operation Raccoon City. Because it was a westernization of that franchise you know, even the movies, uh, as we said before, they, they ended up bleeding into the games and what happened in them. And eventually they got to the point where they were comfortable enough to say, okay, we got to understand that that we can take stuff from, you know, Western influence without compromising what we want to do too. Uh, you know, and they're not quite, as we said, they're not quite there, but they're getting there. And they've definitely learned something. And that that's where my optimism definitely lies for the series, is that they will have at least an idea of what other things would be, uh, sort of work for this series going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think before I let you go, I want to just thoughts were on um, mercenaries in this. How did you find uh, 
the it adapting to sort of Resident Evil villages, um, whether it be just the handling or sort of they're uh, incorporating a lot of the mechanics from the main gameplay in terms of like upgrading weapons and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know that there's ever been a mercenaries mode that has had this uh, progression system where you return to the trader in between rounds and then you can upgrade your weapons. Has that been a, an element so. of the past games? Not like, not quite as um, seamlessly as this. I, I think right, it's just a continuation like that stage to stage, but um, it's very different mercenaries mode. I think mercenaries is, you know, for being a very similar mode throughout, has innovated quite well within itself since Resident Evil 3, where it has been, you know, everyone's got their idea of what mercenaries is and should be. Uh, Daryl Baxter, who's, you know, done stuff for me, it really disgusting and has gone to other stuff, it is, it was a big fan of that original mercenaries mode and really loved that going back. And I always said to him, I was like, well, you know, it's been in other games, you know, like that. But yeah, but it's the way it was done there is how I liked it and how it worked. And it's like, and I get that because I like Four's Mercenaries mode a lot. This one, it's okay as an addition. It's like, it's not really how I want to play Resident Evil personally for me. And I think it annoyed me in Four even then, as much as I could do it and enjoy it. I, di- I didn't really care for it that much because it was a further symptom of this Resident Evil going away from what I wanted it to be. And, you know, and it's, you know, again, I've made peace with that in years since then. But at the time, it was very much a case of, you know, it's like, why do I want an arcade Resident Evil? It's like, it's House of the Fucking Dead for that shit. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like. <laughs> yeah, I felt kind of strange about realizing that it was, there's a progression system sort of to this new version because I was like well hasn't mercenaries always been you pick up and you play it you try to see how long you can survive and then you move on the idea that like you're building upon past successes and it's getting to a certain degree maybe easier or you're at least like expanding your tool set yeah I find it's kind of just like I'm not necessarily like a mercenaries uh, hardcore player or anything but or uh, fan of it but it's like it seems like it's striking at the core of what Mercenaries was, which was yeah. pick up, play, how long can you last, and then you're done. You either get that score to unlock the next character or unlock the next map, and then if you can't do that, you're just done. Yeah. And I kind of really enjoyed that element because it's pick up and play. Maybe I would spend time with that in between like working up the effort to go back and replay whatever Resident Evil I just finished. And so to have this one and it almost be like an entire new investment... I was like, well, I think I'd rather just go back and play Village again, which is yeah. what I did. I started my second playthrough, and I, I think I'm like four hours into my second playthrough, and I'm loving, obviously, the uh, the allure of running through with souped-up guns and unlocking new guns. So I have like have the assault rifle now, and I've got uh, Chris's refined pistol, which is basically an OP uh, as it gets for these sort of fodder enemies. But <laughs> there's something in that. There's like a newfound empowerment that I'm really, really enjoying with this uh, in a way that I think kind of strikes at the core of what it's like to replay a Resident Evil game, right? There's yeah, that uh, you get the new big and better guns, you get the unlimited uh, unlimited ammunition and whatnot. I mean, it's really working for me in a second playthrough, which is not something that I do typically like so soon after finishing a game. Usually, take a step back, think about it a little bit more. But with this, it was like I wanted to dive right back in, and I found that 
that sort of like newfound empowerment is just making it a hell of a lot more enjoyable in terms of how I usually see myself playing um, games in like New Game Plus right away. Yeah, and you know, I, I found so much more stuff the second time around. Yeah, I mean, even in Castle Dimitrescu, like uh, in the dungeon, there's a place that can only be opened by the Iron Key. And, I, and I'd missed it entirely the first time around like that and it has its own little uh, puzzle similar to the one you do higher up in the castle with the flame where you're pushing the thing to go between two things to make it catch light and yeah and it has a treasure in there that was like that's cool these little things you find as you go around and I, I, I think my second playthrough ended up being a lot longer because I did more exploring with more confidence because you know once you've know where monsters are roughly and this isn't so bad that isn't so bad you you generally sort of get a bit acclimatized to it and uh becomes less a horror game more of a sort of yeah just any other game in a lot of ways you just sort of explore and, and find you know with the exception that you, you go back to beneviento's uh, house and it is you know, still really bloody uncertain I did love the uh, inclusion of the treasures, right? These sort of like, it's either a weapon or it's uh, loot that you can sell uh, to the Duke to kind of get that nice pay bump. I really loved that because it forces you to return to previously explored areas, Mm -hmm. but there's always something just a little bit different. And granted, it's not usually something that is a huge obstacle. Like you said, there's that puzzle that is sort of like a reprint of a previous one, but it still forces you to re-explore an area that you've been to, but it's changed just enough that it doesn't feel like this sort of egregious backtracking. Yeah. Or in one area, um, you return to a house in the village that you'd been to at the very beginning, and there's like this massive XL werewolf now that you have to kill, yeah. uh, which is a huge pain in the ass and terrifying in its own right. <laughs> um, but I just love that sort of like recycling of environments, but it doesn't feel like it's recycling in a way that it's like, yeah, this is another two hours worth of stuff that you can do if you want to, right? It feels rewarding because there's a new obstacle, whether that be an enemy or environmentally. I think at one point there's like a piece of machinery has moved or something that blocks your way. So you have to find an alternate route. You have to find like a jack to move it and crawl under it. But I appreciate environments that are ever evolving. And again, it doesn't feel like this sort of laborious Metroid backtracking where it's like, oh, I found that one key. Now I can go through this area or something to that extent it just it felt like a side quest or a side activity that was worth pursuing instead of being like yeah i would like to be in this world for another two hours it feels more rewarding than that i think on top of getting a monetary reward yeah i think uh, going back to saying that capcom sort of learn from other games a few years too late um but as i said it, it sort of benefited them in a lot of ways in recent years is this feels more like a, a from software game in that regard that you, you uh, unlock these new areas and it sort of loops round again to the next bit rather than uh, you know having to go this way that way that way that way and to go back there it it's you know fast travel is often you know, a crux of games this open and to have a game that is willing to sort of no no you don't need it you just you know everywhere is fairly accessible if you really want to go somewhere it isn't going to be that much of a journey but you've probably got to figure out how quite to get to this new area if you want to that kind of bleeds into my comparison to like a lot of the art aesthetics of this game that i find is derivative of or draws inspiration from bloodborne in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. right this idea that there's 
this beautifully morose uh, gothic world that I just loved exploring. And it was to the degree, again, there's enough variation that nothing feels like it's over. You're never being overexposed to one particular thing. No. And I think that that is perfect, especially for the length of this game, right? Because imagine if this game was 15 hours, that first castle segment, which is, I think we both agree, is not the strongest point in the game. That could have been another two floors and then that adds another two hours onto the game or something like that. But at that point, you're like, okay, I think I have gotten the gist of this entire environment. Let's move on to something else. And so, yeah, this is... I'm, I was very, very surprised at how well this game was able to blend its action influence. It doesn't do it perfectly. Definitely have some reservations about the back half of the game. But overall, I was surprised at how it really is able to blend the action with the horror, with the sort of traditional Resi experience with puzzles and all that. It's... it. It was a big gamble, I think, them deciding, okay, we're going to make a more action-oriented approach to first person, even if it is the most inevitable one. Yeah. But then at the same time, to see them still be so even-handed in its handling of both for a large portion of the game, we'll say, because again, it's definitely not perfect in that regard. But I was just, I walked away very impressed by that. And it made me want to dive right back into the game as soon as I finished it, because I was like, okay... The action-oriented nature of the back half is not necessarily my favorite, but it's been so long since I had that sort of more horror-focused traditional Resident Evil experience, which is very much the first half of the game, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. So it made me immediately want to go back and re-experience that, which I can't say about most games as soon as I finish them. I think that's a good uh, point to leave off on. Yeah, absolutely, because this has been a, a beast of an episode <laughs> for a beast of a, uh, a horror release. But uh, as always, Neil, it's a pleasure talking horror with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I did wonder if we'd have a lot to talk about about this, and uh, it feels like we still didn't scratch the surface. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, maybe in the future we will uh, we will leave it open to the idea of bringing in a guest to share their thoughts, and we can all bounce our uh, our mo- even more refined thoughts on Resident Evil Village once we all get our uh, second and inevitably our third replays through. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.